All right, hallelujah. Good afternoon, everyone. All right. I'm going to be preaching a very important uh, message today. And uh, I would like to ask everybody um, to take out your pen and your, and your notebook if you have one. Uh, the message today is going to be groundbreaking. All right. <clears throat> now, a, a lot of this material from today's message, uh, it comes from a few forerunners that have gone before us. Um, it's from a book called Exposing Witchcraft in the Church by Rick Godwin. Excellent resource if you want to get your hands on it. Uh, I'm not sure if you'll be able to get a print of the book. You might have to go to half.com or eBay to find a copy of the book. Uh, if you have a Kindle, you can uh, download an electronic copy, which is what I did. Um, thank you to David and Rebecca for your generous gift. Um, it's by an author named Rick Godwin. Derek Prince, he was one of the forerunners that taught on this teaching. And uh, I believe it's going to indeed be groundbreaking. Uh, it's going to shatter various paradigms and give revelation to the church uh, regarding uh, very important things that God, God is doing right now at this hour. He's exposing the works of the enemy. As you guys know, I've been doing a series called Make War. First week... We looked at make war on a, a critical spirit. Second, I, I went over making war on a... Uh, don't be cheap. Don't be cheap. And last week, I look, we looked at making war on a, <clears throat> on a religious spirit. Very good. Not sure how long I can continue this series. I think the more I think about it, I realize, man, there's a lot of different topics I can cover under this series. Uh, but I feel like uh, time is coming to a close. Uh, but God wants me to end with uh, probably the most important message in this series. Uh, it's going to be a two-part series uh, from today till next week. And it's today's, uh, we're going to be looking at making war on a witchcraft spirit. On a witchcraft spirit. As our brother Kevin read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God has forbid sacrificing your son and daughter in the fire. Okay? Hopefully nobody has a problem with that in here. But he goes on to say, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. In the NIV, it says, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft. In witchcraft. The Bible clearly forbids witchcraft. Amen? Now, when we think of witchcraft, what do we think about? Think of Harry Potter, right? That little demonic boy spreading all kinds of witchcraft in the world. Um, when we think of witchcraft, we often think of occultic sin, O-C-C-U-L-T, 
Okay, if you don't know what occultic sin means, you need to write this down. Okay, if you are doing healing and deliverance ministry, you need to define this by memory. Occultic sin is seeking power or knowledge from a source other than God. Occultic sin is seeking power or knowledge from a source other than God. Now, when we seek the power of God, what do we call that? It's called the anointing. When we seek the knowledge of God, knowledge from God, what is that called? Information. <laughs> it's called prophecy. Hallelujah. We call it prophecy. It is information, but it's what I was looking for is prophecy. God bless you. <clears throat> But when we seek knowledge or power from a source other than God, this is called occultic sin. Witchcraft is a form of occultic sin. Now, in it, people use all kinds of methods to gain power and knowledge from demonic spirits. There are three main English words that are used for the study of witchcraft. They are witchcraft, divination, and sorcery. Now, many versions of the Bible, they use these three words interchangeably. They're witchcraft, divination, and sorcery. Basically, witchcraft is satanic power. You can write that down. Witchcraft is satanic power. It is Satan's way of imposing his will on your will. It's witchcraft. Imposing Satan's will on your will and imposing unwarranted emotions, behavior, or circumstances upon people who didn't ask for it. Witchcraft imposes its power primarily through curses and spells. Who in here has ever cast a curse or a spell? Okay, don't raise your hand. All right. Well, you know, that's witchcraft. Divination. It's fortune-telling. Predicting the future is a significant way by which Satan puts people into bondage. Because when it comes down to it, people have a tremendous, insatiable desire to know about the future. And Satan uses this to put people under bondage. Divination is also found in charismatic churches. Oftentimes, it masquerades around as prophecy. Third is sorcery. Sorcery is that which operates through objects. Objects are set apart and they become the means through which satanic power is released. Charms, fetishes, amulets, potions, drugs, and even music can be counted under sorcery. Now, I just went over the very overt, the obvious forms of witchcraft. But did you know that you don't have to participate in a seance or cast a spell to be dabbling in witchcraft? Somebody wants to know. Somebody shout out. I want to know. Remember, witchcraft is Satan's way of imposing his will on your will. Now, whenever you use illegitimate means to impose your will on others, you're following in Satan's steps. 
When you use illegitimate means to impose your will on others, you are following in Satan's steps and you're falling right into his trap. As we're about to see, you don't have to cast a spell or a curse to operate in a witchcraft spirit. In the New Testament, witchcraft is described in two ways. Number one, as an evil, spiritual, occultic power. And second, as a work of the flesh. In Galatians 3.1, Paul asks, Who has bewitched you, Galatian church? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What had happened in the church of Galatia was an evil spiritual power had blinded the Galatians from the power and grace of the cross. And what they did was they started to trust in their Jewish customs and circumcision instead of God's grace revealed in the cross. And the reason why they were deceived in this way is because they were bewitched. There was a witchcraft curse cast upon the Galatian church. Now, in the same letter, in chapter 5, verse 19, Paul lists witchcraft as being a work of the flesh, right along with adultery, fornication, hatred, murder, and drunkenness. It's listed right there as a work of the flesh. Now, what this tells us is that witchcraft is not just a spiritual, occultic activity, but it is also a work of the flesh. The work of our own man, our sinful nature. Now, although you may not be practicing an overt form of witchcraft, by this definition, all believers are vulnerable to witchcraft because it is a work of, of the flesh, just like sexual morality and drunkenness is. Every one of you in here is vulnerable. To a spirit of witchcraft. Let me go on. But before I go on, I want to point out a key aspect of witchcraft that we need to understand. Turn to First uh, Samuel 15. Let's look at that verse again. First <clears throat> Samuel 15, verse 23. Now, what happens is the prophet Samuel he anoints a gentleman named Saul to be the king of Israel. Saul has many victories. He's being raised up as the king. People recognize him as the king. Hallelujah. Let me pray for a moment. Let me pray. Everyone close your eyes with me. Lord, right now I come against every distracting, mocking spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. I bind every spirit that is causing migraines in this room. And I command you to be loosed off of God's people. Lord, I pray for fresh oil of your anointing to flow through my mouth. As I preach this message and upon the hearts of your people to hear this word, this crucial word. And anoint us not to only be hearers, but doers of the word. Not only doers of the word, but teachers of your word. And your anointing fall in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Prophet Samuel anoints Saul to be the king. Samuel tells Saul very specifically, go in to the Amalekites. And completely wipe out everything that is in their city. Just wipe out everything. Cattle, everything. Now King Saul, he goes in and he doesn't do it. He wipes out most of the Amalekites, but he decides to keep the cattle and the sheep for himself. The best of the cattle. He also decides to spare the life of the king of the Amalekites. 
Now, it is at this point that the prophet Samuel, he arrives on the scene. And this is what he prophesies. Look at verse 23 of 1 Samuel 15. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. Now, in the King James, it says witchcraft. Remember, those three words are used interchangeably. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And presumption, or I like the King James, as stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, we looked at last week the second part of that verse. How stubbornness, which operates often in religious spirits, is idolatry of the mind. People are idolizing their mind. But today, I want to focus on the first part of this verse. It says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, that's how God views rebellion. Rebellion is as witchcraft. The spirit that is behind rebellion, I'm telling you right now, is not the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God is a God of order. And to keep things orderly, some kind of rule or government must be invoked over people. Or you just have anarchy. We see it in every segment of society. Starting from the family, up to the city, in the church, to nations. You got to have rule and government. So God, to keep things orderly, he invokes rule or govern over people. Now, if that rule or government is not submitted under the authority of God, it is an evil, illegitimate government. It is in rebellion against God's order. And an evil, illegitimate ruler will often turn to illegitimate power to enforce his rule. For example, when the Cambodia, when the Khmer Rouge took over, that was an illegitimate government. What did they quickly turn to when they couldn't control the people? They turned and they made the killing fields. They used fear and threat to control and subdue the people of Cambodia. Um, an illegitimate ruler will often turn to illegitimate power to enforce his rule. This illegitimate power is witchcraft. Now, on the flip side, when a person, a subordinate, when a person refuses to submit to the legitimate authority that God has placed, that person is also in rebellion to God's order. Everybody with me? A person like this may rebel outwardly or this person may stick around and rebel in a hidden manner. But you're not fooling God. Both are forms of rebellion. And if the person sticks around, that person may resort to illegitimate power and methods to get his or her way. Such behavior exposes the presence of a witchcraft spirit. Now, rebellion and witchcraft, they're like identical twins. They are seldom separated. They often come together. And the essence of rebellion, listen up, the essence of rebellion is the rejection of the righteous, legal, legitimate government of God in one's life, church, family, anywhere. Now, in God's original plan for mankind, 
Man was given a mandate. God told Adam to subdue and take dominion over all the earth. God gave this authority to rule as his representatives on the earth. He didn't give it to puppies. He didn't give it to rabbits. He didn't give it to monkeys. He gave it to man. He gave us the authority to rule as his representatives on this earth. So thus, part of our very nature is we have a desire to rule. Now, in the garden, Adam rejected and rebelled against God's order and legitimate authority. And he became a rebel. He decided to do things his way. And this rebellion, it continues to this day. Now, as successors to Adam, men, we still have within us the innate desire to subdue and have dominion. No one has to tell you to have it. It's, it's just innate. It's part of us. Whether you're a believer or not, if you are a man or woman, you still have that desire to rule within you because God is the one who first placed that in your father, Adam. Now, if that desire to subdue or rule is expressed in a fleshly, illegitimate way, it is an expression of witchcraft and it's a form, a, it's a form of rebellion. Somebody with me, say amen. If that desire to subdue or have dominion is expressed in a fleshly, illegitimate way, it is an expression of witchcraft and a form of rebellion. Now, it becomes illegitimate the moment the person attempts to coerce, scare, or manipulate people to do what they otherwise would not do. Remember, the essence of rebellion is the rejection of the righteous, legal, legitimate government of God in your life. Witchcraft is an overt or covert expression of this rebellion. See, instead of choosing to subdue and have dominion on earth using God's ways, just like King Saul, we reject God's word and we try to do things our way. This is rebellion, brothers and sisters. When you are not patient enough to understand the word of God and submit under it and seek and search the ways of God, if you're not patient enough to do that and you just feel like, you know what? Well, I found other wisdoms and other ways that work for me and you're very pragmatic in your approach and you go your own way. That's rebellion. It is rebellion. And it's not easy to detect. These covert things. You know, you, you would probably never call somebody out and say, hey man, I rebuke you because you, you're, you're operating in rebellion. You would probably not say that because it's very hard to detect. But when you realize the essence of rebellion and witchcraft... You'd be surprised. You can find it anywhere and everywhere. You look around, you can find it on TV. You can hear about it in the world's biggest ministries. You would see it in the business world and within government and within marriages. You see rebellion and witchcraft abounding on the earth. Now, I want to help you guys identify witchcraft. There are three key words that act as caution flags to help us to identify witchcraft. These three words are, write this down, manipulation, domination, and intimidation. 
Write it down, Paul. You ain't going to memorize it on the spot. All right, write that one down, brother. If you want to learn, you need to learn. You're not just learning in torch. You got to learn here in the church. Manipulation, domination, and intimidation. Three key words to help us identify witchcraft. Whenever you run into these three things, an evil spirit lurks not too far behind. This is the devil's modus operandi. Operandi. It's a word that Brother Michael taught me. It's his, it's his normal, natural ways. His modus operandi. Is it a French word? It's a French word, right? It's Latin. Okay, Colombia. All right, calm down. <laughs> if you intimidate it. I'm going to show you intimidation. Now, <clears throat> take note. God never manipulates. God never dominates. And God never intimidates. He just doesn't resort to these kinds of methods. But what Satan does is he takes authority by using illegitimate ways because all of his authority has been stripped by him when he rebelled against God. When you really think about it, Satan, all the authority that Satan has, it's authority that he won over through your sins. That's how he has rule and reign on this earth. It's by the authority that we give up to him. He's a thief. Now, in the same way, in the, since my sinful nature, my flesh, is something that still desires to do things my way and be in complete control, any one of us, we may resort to witchcraft by asserting authority that is not given by God. It may be in a church, a board of elders, a marriage, or at your workplace, your hagwan, your school, your business. When someone asserts authority not given by God, it is called witchcraft. It is rebellion against delegated, legitimate authority. And when you allow such spirits to influence you, you will find yourself utilizing manipulation, domination, and intimidation to get your way. Somebody turn to your neighbor, tell him, make war on the spirit of witchcraft. Now the spirit, the spirit of witchcraft, we're talking about something very serious right now. And I, I, I would love to get, especially the leaders in here, really get your attention on this. Because whether you apply this word or not will determine how much heartache we're going to see in the future. Because we're about, our church is about to enter a season where we really need to be in love and in character. Really united and committed to one another and to God. And, and this, I'm telling you, this, this teaching, this word, is not for religious spirits and evangelical churches, although it happens there as well. But it is so covert, it is so hidden, it especially, it, charismatic, spirit-filled churches are very vulnerable to this. Okay, And I really want to ask you to really pay attention. Now today, I'm going to start by looking at witchcraft in the family, because I believe this affects almost every one of you in here, especially those from a Korean-American background. 
man. Let's look at witchcraft and famine. Let's start with manipulation. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, God, the word of God tells us that God has placed parents in authority over their children. Now, the fifth of the Ten Commandments says, what? Honor your father and mother. God calls every child to honor his mother and father. Now, we are to show them respect, our attention, and our obedience. When we honor our parents, we are honoring God because it is God who places that authority in our lives. Now, the parent must govern the child. If the child governs the parent, that child is exercising illegitimate authority. Have you ever seen that before? Where the child is governing the parent? Something terribly wrong going on. And as we already looked at, illegitimate authority is witchcraft. Now, children are experts. Children are experts at manipulation. You know, little cute girls. Come on, honey, it's time to go home. And she'll just look around, see that there, she's surrounded by people. She's in public. She looks her cutest. And she throws a big old tantrum. I don't want to go. You never let me do anything. And that child, by throwing that tantrum, that child gets his way, gets her way. This is a form of manipulation, brothers and sisters. It really is. And it needs to be corrected. If a parent just gives in to that child's behavior, right? Her behavior can become habitual. And she may go through life and become an adult as a master manipulator. Ooh, yeah. You probably know people just like that. You just think, you look at them, you're like, man, this person did not get enough beatdowns in, in, while they were a child. <laughs> man, I, I know, I, I tried it on my mom and it, it, nothing passed through her. She, she, she didn't even have to point out what it was. She just beat it out of me. You know, manipulative children who continue in their manipulative ways, they grow into manipulative adults. And as an adult, the manipulation is much more shrewd, much more crafty. For example, these are fictional characters. Mark and Paula, they're married. Mark has been eyeing a brand new camera, a digital SLR. It's an expense that he knows is way beyond the family's budget. Mark has made a commitment with Paula not to make any major budget decisions unless they both agree on it. Now, one day, Paula mentions that she's going up to the mall to pick up a few items. Surprisingly, Mark jumps at the idea and the opportunity, and he tags along. While at the mall, Mark eyes a very beautiful dress, very expensive, beautiful dress, and says, hey, honey, come on over here. Hey, why don't you try this on? Paula tries it on. She comes out of the dressing room and Mark is just ecstatic. Wow! You look gorgeous in that. Right? He tells her, come on, honey. Let's just splurge a little bit. Come on. Just this once. Paula 
Flattered, she gleefully agrees. A few days later, Mark, tells, Mark comes up to his wife and says, Hey, honey, you know, I noticed that the Nikon D90 is 20% off at Best Buy. You know, if we got it, we will be able to get some beautiful moments on our family vacation next month. Paula replies, But honey, we just spent so much money on my brand new... She stops mid-sentence and she realizes that she's already lost. Right? If she opposes this purchase, how can she do that without not sounding selfish when she just got a brand new expensive dress? It's pretty sly, right? Our sisters, don't let, don't let anyone do that to you. Don't let your future husbands do that to you. I don't do that to Aaron. We got a spirit still searching my soul. No, no, but um, all right, Mark. Mark, what he did was he just he just this is manipulation. It's a form of manipulation, and it's found in a lot of Christian marriages. Oftentimes, people look at this and and they think it's just the normal behavior of most families. They just think it's cute or funny. But what is Mark doing? He's using guilt to get his way. This is manipulation. Are these manipulations led by the Spirit of God? Absolutely not. This is a spirit of witchcraft. It's the exercise of illegitimate authority to get your own way. Now, that's manipulation. Let's go a step further. Domination. Domination is one step past manipulation. Manipulation is hidden Domination is in your face. The manipulation says, I'll trick you to do things my way. Domination says, I'll make you do things my way. Do you know people like that? Let's look at a gentleman named Doug. Once again, this is fictional. Any parallel to your own life is just pure coincidence. Okay. I'm serious. No one named Doug in here, right? Doug is 40 years old, and he's still living with his mother. Oh, man, right there. There's something wrong with that spirit right there. (laughs) Doug is 40 years old. He's still living with his mother. Doug's father took off when he was a little child. And his mom never got remarried. And using guilt, condemnation, and threats of rejection, Doug's mother convinces him that if he were ever to move out and get married, he will be abandoning her just like Doug's father did. So although Doug is bright, he's talented, he's good looking, he can't make no moves. He feels trapped. Let's say at one point, Doug gets more involved at church only to find his mother blasting him for not spending enough time with her. He goes on a mission trip, comes back, and his mom even threatens to hurt herself if he goes on another mission trip. Doug eventually decides to forego church involvement, give up on romantic relationships, career opportunities, out of fear of how his mother may respond 
Five years later, Doug's mom passes away. She passes away. Doug gets married. And guess what? He becomes just as domineering as his mom once was. Having been oppressed for so long, his thirst for control expresses and explodes in his relationship to his wife. Makes me not want to get married, huh? Or we'll get all the men delivered in here, women. Sisters, don't worry. We'll get the men delivered. Eventually, his wife can't stand it, divorces him. Doug dies a lonely, bitter old man. What was the root of the problem? It's witchcraft. That was the root of the problem. The thief came and destroyed Doug's life. The dominating spirit of witchcraft in Doug's mom got passed down generationally. His mother imposed an illegitimate authority over her son. And then he turned it and tried it on somebody else. Well, sisters, we're in here smiling and smirking. But we all know of examples just like this. Some way or form. Doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. You might be thinking about your own family right now. You know, parent, parental domination is a huge problem in Christian families. A lot of people come to me for counsel, and I see so many examples of this, especially in Korean American families. Parents use the command to honor mother and father as tools to dominate and control their children. To get what they want. You know, we should always seek to honor our parents. But it should never interfere with leaving and cleaving. You know, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, God says that a man must leave his mother and father and cleave, be united to his wife. Amen? Now, This means that God releases a husband and a wife from the authority of his parents when he makes the move toward getting married. In fact, this transition doesn't occur just when they get married, but as they become adults. Children must realize that they need to grow up and mature. And that God doesn't want you to be a puppet to your parents for the rest of your life. And still be immature and never, never really learn financial independence, never really learn how to be on your own. Check this out. If a parent still controls or tries to control the lives of his children after they are married, okay, that's domination. And they are operating in a spirit of witchcraft. If your parents are doing that to you, okay, That is illegitimate authority. If your in-laws are doing that to you, of course your in-laws wouldn't do that to you though. (laughs) Hallelujah. They will never do such a thing, right? If they do that to you, it is witchcraft. You can make war on that thing. Hallelujah. Now there's husbands or boyfriends that have been known to dominate their partners. You see this all the time, right? Abusive relationships. 
Some men, they isolate their partner from other people, monitoring everyone that they contact. That's a control issue right there. It's not just a control issue. That's a witchcraft spirit. Some husbands control all the finances of a family without discussing matters with their wife. It's a witchcraft spirit. Some boyfriends will coerce their girlfriend to have sex even after she's clearly expressed her commitment to wait. That's control. That's witchcraft. That person is not being led by the Spirit of God. He's being led by a different spirit. Now, people who are driven by control and domination, they have difficulty submitting themselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. The need for control, brothers and sisters, is just a form of rebellion. You can do everything right on the outside and appear as a great Sunday Christian. But if in your relationship, your personal relationship with God, you cannot let things go. It is a form of rebellion. If you cannot submit to the leadership of a local church, because you feel like you got to do everything right and your way, and so your way to the highway, you got to be in control of everything, that's a form of rebellion. It's just not the way that God governs his church. It's not the way that God governs your life. Domination coerces people into doing something they do not want to do or restricts them from doing what they do want to do. Either action is a form of witchcraft and it is rooted in rebellion and illegitimate authority. The Bible says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Hallelujah. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The Bible says that Christ came to set us free so that we can live in freedom. Hallelujah. We have no business bringing other people under the yoke of slavery. And neither do we have any business putting ourselves under that yoke. God wants you to live free. Tell your neighbor that. God wants you to live free. Hallelujah. As the leaders know, it's not just freedom, it's that glorious freedom. Praise be to God. It's that friendship with God. Praise be to God. It's that glorious freedom. Now, one, pa- one step past domination is called intimidation. Manipulation says, I'll trick you to get my way. Domination says, I'll make you. I'll make you do what I want. Intimidation says, I'll scare you into doing things my way. Intimidation rules by fear and the fear of punishment. But check this out. Let's contrast it with love. The Bible says that there is no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with what? Punishment. Okay. When you're using fear and the fear of punishment to control people, that's not love. That is not love. Love seeks mutual edification, mutual acceptance, mutual affection. You know, anytime a parent rules with fear, he or she is ruling in witchcraft, not in love. 
if a mother says, if you guys get married, I will not show up to your wedding. Okay. Or if a father says, if you go into ministry, I will disown you. Or if a girlfriend says, if you leave me, I'll kill myself. Okay, don't laugh. We're living in Korea. All the Korean dramas, they always, they put, they always put that into the drama. You know? And you think, no, you won't. No, you won't. And then the, the boyfriend leaves and then all of a sudden she's walking into the ocean. And she makes sure that, that he, he sees too, like, did his car just drive up? Is that his car? Yes, that's his car. And she starts going in. Not chocolate! Wait a wait a minute, and the and the guy just what happened? She she used it that's more than manipulation, she used intimidation to get her way. I have the DVD set to Kar Donghua with English subtitles. So if you ever want to see it, let me know, man. That's a great great example of intimidation in that in that drama. <coughs> and all these different things. Your parents threaten you or your girlfriend threaten these these they're using fear. This is intimidation. Now many children grow up thinking that God is harsh and intimidating. Where did they get that from? It's because their parents were intimidating. They use the name of God even as a Christian parent to intimidate them. And this kind of damage, you know, it takes years to unlearn and heal somebody from. It really is a shame that we find this in the Christian families. When we rule by intimidation, we teach children that God rules by intimidation. But this is just not true. Who is it that rules by intimidation? Exactly, it's Satan. I feel like God's really pulling back the veil over your eyes right now. Kind of rethinking things in your own life, in the lives of friends that you try to help out. And what I'm trying, I'm trying to expose the true root of what was going on in there. You know, God has, you know, He's given us a free will to make choices that will affect our destiny. It's really sad. Each of us, because we have that innate desire to rule and dominate, rule and have dominion, we have a tendency not only to control our own destiny, but we try to control the destinies of others. When we insist on having our own way, and when we can't get it, and we resort to the ways of our flesh to get our own way, we open ourselves up to satanic influence every single time. When you start looking to those ways, I'm telling you right now, it's like you opening up a door and you're inviting demons into your life. Brothers and sisters, we must submit to God's righteous authority, to his plans and to his ways. Moses said to God, show me your glory and teach me your ways that I might... I might have favor with you. That's a man looking at the heart of God. 
And that's the attitude we need to keep. We need to keep. We need to ask God to teach us his ways. Because our ways, man, our ways are just ways of the flesh. And our own ways will lead us to all kinds of manipulation, domination, and intimidation. And I'm telling you right now, these are all forms of witchcraft. I mean, what, what difference is it whether an occultic practitioner of witchcraft is using a curse and a spell to get what they want while you're over here using a manipulation, domination, intimidation to get what you want? Okay. You might think there's a big difference, but the spirit that's operating in both realms is the same spirit. It's a spirit of witchcraft. You know, all three tactics of witchcraft, they have equally damaging effects. It's completely satanic. Alright? And this may be a touchy subject for some, but I just wanna I just wanna use this to illustrate a point. Let's think about the case of sexual assault. Now in rape, and I've helped a lot of sisters at this church and at other churches who have been victims of sexual assault and brought them through healing and deliverance. And I've heard all kinds of stories. Now, in rape, a person can be tricked into having sex. Okay. For example, a drug can be slipped into your drink. Or your boyfriend can make you drink a lot of alcohol. And then your will is so numbed and your faculties are so weak that you have sex with him. And you're not even sure if it was really you or not. Okay, that's manipulation. Or the person can be coerced into having sex. The person says, no, no, you know how I feel, you know. And the person come on, I love you, baby. You know I love you. You know you love me. And uses coercion to get sex. That's domination. That's domination. Or the person, this is really a lot of the criminal cases that we see, can be threatened into having sex. Threatened to kill you, hurt you, hurt your family. Okay, This will be intimidation. But check this out. Some people think that if I use one method and not the other, I'm not really a criminal. I'm not really doing that bad. But all three cases, if you took it to court, it would be classified as rape, by the way. It's just harder to prosecute when it's not intimidation. And in all three cases, the damage of rape is devastating no matter what method the person chose to get his way. Somebody with me here. Whether you use manipulation, domination, or intimidation... The damaging effects are all the same. And the root of those behaviors are all the same. It's the spirit of witchcraft. It's a form of rebellion. Perhaps this message is helping you to identify witchcraft around you. Or perhaps you may see it even now in your own life, in your own behavior. And you know, even as a pastor, I, re I realize that I'm vulnerable when I can't do, get things the way 
I feel like it's right or I feel like it's my way. Sometimes, man, I can be a little dominating over Marcus. That's not good. That behavior needs to go. It's not healthy. If you're realizing all this, I want to exhort you today. We need to make war on this spirit. Amen. Jesus Christ came to deliver us from the power of witchcraft around us and in us. Amen. Now, from the examples I mentioned above, witchcraft clearly affects our families and our relationships. But I also do want to touch upon witchcraft in the church. Think about this. Have you ever wondered why there are so many church splits, lawsuits, factions, and dissensions in the local church today? Have you ever wondered? Why do so many of you guys come up into this church with colorful stories of how elders conspired against pastors? And pastors resigned or got kicked out of the church. Why do I hear stories of people from charismatic churches using the gift of prophecy to force decisions upon a church without going through the senior pastor? Using the gift of prophecy to convince a small number of the church members that they know the will of God and the senior pastor is off. tell you right now, that's not the spirit of prophecy. Why do people from prayer groups get together only to see these prayer groups turn into a haven of gossip and manipulation against the established leaders of a church? Okay. These are burning questions upon our minds. And uh, next week, I'm going to preach a message that will expose... The root of all this dysfunctional behavior in the church. And yes, it has to do with witchcraft and rebellion. But for today, I want to exhort you to make war on the witchcraft spirit within your family relationships. If you have, a, if you have been a victim of manipulation, domination, or intimidation, I encourage you, take steps toward forgiving the persons involved and ask God to heal you. Or else, guess what? You're just going to repeat the same pattern that they did to you. Ask God to renew your mind from negative ways in which you view God as a result of perhaps your parents' behavior towards you. And check this out. If you're in a thing with your parents, don't argue with your parents. And try to fight it in the natural. Because guess what? You're going to lose. You're going to feel defeated. Don't try to fight this in the natural. The Bible says our fight is not against flesh and blood. Make war first on the witchcraft spirit that are operating in your family members. And then in love and in following God's ways of love, try to speak the truth when you're given opportunities. Do it God's way. Trust me, in the long run, it works and it's permanent. You might get quick fixes. Well, you're just putting a whole big number on your soul. You're doing a big number on your soul by going your own way. And you're succumbing to your own witchcraft spirit. And check this out. Please do me a favor. Don't call up your parents this week and tell them that my pastor told me you're filled with the spirit of witchcraft. Can you please not do that? I just feel like some of you might just do that. 
Okay. If they call me up, I'll be like, who? Don't know them. <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing. I won't disown you. I'm not, I'm not using fear. All right. I'm sorry. It's just a joke. Love you. Um, yeah, if you've been a victim, forgive and ask God to heal you and come through that process. If you've been a perpetrator of manipulation, domination, or intimidation, I want to call upon you to repent and renounce these ways. Life is just too short to have to get through all the web of messes that you create for yourself by following in these ways. Make war on the witchcraft spirit in your soul and stand against it until you have developed new patterns of behavior that reflect God's love and His ways. Take note that these patterns of behavior are subtle forms of rebellion against God's word, against God, and against his established authority. You need to recognize that. To recognize that and make war on it until it is completely purged out of your life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus came to the earth. Think about the ministry of Jesus for a moment. He did not resort to manipulation, domination, or intimidation in his ministry. What's one of the key words of Jesus' life and ministry? It's submission. Humility. And yet he exercised authority. And you may think, how does that all coexist together? Well, let's just study the ministry and life of Jesus. And you will find a healthy model in which you can exercise authority and yet be walking in humility and submission. Jesus was not led by a spirit of witchcraft, but by the spirit of God. God wants you, brothers and sisters, to be his delegate, his ambassador on this earth. He does want you to exercise authority, by the way. Even though there are abuses of authority, the answer to abuses of authority is not no authority. The answer is the right use of authority. It's not to abandon it and say, there's no hope for authority. No, brothers and sisters. We need God's people to exercise authority on this earth. But we need them to exercise it by the Spirit of God. God wants you to be His delegate and to exercise His authority and to establish His kingdom. But check this out. You will not be entrusted with more until you learn to walk in His ways and reject witchcraft spirits and be led by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I believe that as we take these steps, we will see healthier families. Not only from the families that you look up to, your parents, your cousins, your uncles, your aunts, but you also see healthy families in your own families that you will begin later on. Let us make war on the witchcraft spirit. It has no place, no place in the body of Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we are just so thankful for your revelation. We thank you for men like Derek Prince and Rick Gladwin that are gifted with gifts of teaching, that are given to the church as a fivefold minister 
to teach the church, to equip them for works of the ministry. And we thank you that, Lord, through these anointed men of, men of God, you have exposed a covert, secret, spy, hidden operation of Satan. Not from outside, but from within. And God, as this revelation comes, I pray for your grace to rest upon the hearts of every one of your people here. That they may indeed make war on the witchcraft spirit. But not doing it their own way or according to the ways of their flesh. But through doing it in the ways of your spirit. In the ways of God. In the ways of love. I pray God. All the healing that needs to occur in many people's hearts. As a result of manipulation. Domination and intimidation in our families. Lord, I pray for a release of your healing. I pray for a release, first of all, of your grace to forgive all the people involved. And that, God, you will also flood out your river of healing into their lives. May these patterns no longer be passed down in our generations. But we take a stand today against the enemy. And we declare that we will be led by the Spirit of God. And we will be called sons of God. For your word says those who are led by the Spirit of God will be called sons of God. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.